Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales. This week we're sponsored by Harbro, manufacturers and suppliers of quality livestock nutrition. I'd like to welcome back again onto the podcast Dr. Bob Hope in the USA, and he's got with him two pals, both in their own right, legendary cattle breeders across the USA. Been there, seen it, done it, and, and got the T-shirt. Bob, over to you. Thanks for your help on this one. Well, this is going to be great, and this is going to be a little different format, that's for sure. You're letting three Americans go wild, so this could be interesting. But, gosh, we have Glenn Klippenstein with us, and, and Glenn, uh, I think, should be well-known to quite a few of your listeners because I think he has one of the most listened-to podcasts that has been done. And, uh, I mean, Glenn is just a, a giant of our industry in terms of the cattle he's bred and all the national champions and the performance and the service to our industry has been outstanding and he's gone right on to be a, a breed exec at one point and 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 dave nichols is another largest seed stock producer in the midwest by a lot and uh, i mean he's been involved in more research and again more service we probably have the two people that have been involved in more service to our industry than any two people that we could pick and so and this is going to be about dave nichols but i think we have a really exciting group to talk about dave and Dave Nichols has one of the really great programs that ever existed, and I, I think that'll come out over time. And Glenn, could you kind of open us up and give, give an idea of what Dave's about? Well, sure. And I think it's very appropriate that we introduce our subject, Dave Nichols. Uh, to those who may not know him well, it's uh, kind of hard to believe that some don't, but there, I'm sure there are. Uh, he's basically a bigger than life, very recognizable figure, especially in the United States, but he has no bounds, really. Uh, he's of the age that uh, young ladies opened the door for him. It used to be that uh, <laughs> being the gentleman that he is, he used to enjoy doing that, but uh, he also enjoys having them look to him with, with some fondness and respect. Uh, he appreciates those small gestures, really, and he's a God-fearing uh, patriotic family people man so that's who he is he believes in liberty capitalism entrepreneurship and we the people he's a real american and uh he's an innovator a trailblazer got a lot of curiosity he soaks up information for like a sponge he's a uh, very competitive meaning competitive really with himself he, he's always trying to better himself and his prospects and puts out a lot of effort to do it he sees potential in almost everything, even obstacles, and that's, that's something that we can all learn. He's a fun-loving guy and enjoys incorporating humor to make a point. And uh, when often, you know, as we know, policies, whatever systems, all this data that we talk about is kind of boring, he's hardly ever boring. And he's a pioneer with uh, tried and true values while having still the flexibility. And that's, that's not easy to be uh, current and futuristic and evolving all the time. And his feet are on the ground, his eyes are in the future. And that, that's just the kind of guy he is. And his, I'd have to say, too, that his heart is uh, kind of almost connected to his tear duct. And uh, I hope, Bob, that kind of tells people pretty much who he is. And now we'll go into what he's done and what he uh, believes in. Oh, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, uh, this is obviously a U.K podcast but dave does kind of represent what america is about and uh, i think if you want to feel for one of our really great americans dave sure is it and and he's taken those values the eastern europe and 
Australia, uh, all over the world, and as you have, Glenn. And uh, and Dave, you started in the kettle business. One of the things is you are a true entrepreneur, and I think that that is represented. Uh, I think one of the really great stories, and I, I wrote up some biography on Dave for the Saddle and Sirloin Award, and in which he was, had his portrait hung in the Saddle and Sirloin. What was that, 2018 or 2016, Dave? 2016. 2016. And, and uh, you know, one of the things his dad, he wanted to start feeding steers. And his dad made him go down to the bank and take out a loan at nine years old. And then he, he wanted to start feeding more steers. So he, he went down and he, he, he uh, put up his collateral as his bike. So, I mean, from nine years old, he's, he's had the entrepreneurial bug and then the capitalism that uh, Glenn talked about. And at some point, he kind of got past feeding steers. He won the champion steer at the county fair. And here he had more money in the champion steer than he had in his, just the cattle he was feeding in general because he's feeding all kinds of show glow and everything else. And, and he, he wanted to get into heifers. And uh, so he switched to Angus heifers. And he and his dad went ahead and said, well, as long as we're going to have some, we might as well have a few more. And, and so they bought cattle together. And, uh, but he bought the pick of the whole deal. This was back in the 50s. And of course, he got a little tiny belt buckle animal. And back then, you know, an ideal didn't come above your belt buckle or your waist. That's why they called it. And it was, it was just perfect, wasn't it, Dave? You right. won champion at the county fair. Yeah, I, I won champion at the county fair and, uh, and was on the front page of the Dare County Free Press above the fold. And boy, I, I tell you what, I, I was in tall cotton. There you go. There you go. That is until this my champion heifer and the bull that I had purchased that my dad wanted no part of. Uh, this a heifer had this calf that the head was swelling and, and, and bloating and so on. And uh, the uh, Angus Fieldman came out and said, "Knock him in the head and don't tell anybody you got him." Uh, the vet said it was probably a uterine infection. And uh, our extension director said he didn't know what the hell it was, but he knew somebody that did. And he took me to Iowa State to meet Dr. J. Lush, who taught let, me Let about... me introduce Dr. J. Lush just for a second. Okay, sure. Do I mean, Dr. Lush started doing research in the 1920s, and, and, and England has the father of animal breeding, and that's Robert Bakewell, and, you know, breeding like to like until they breed true. Well, Dr. Lush is the one that, He's the father of modern animal breeding, and he did the base equation of all these population genetics and things that we work off of today. That was all Dr. Lush. He started in the 1920s after he got out of grad school, putting together all this base of everything we do. And he, I mean, he trained over 125 grad students. So you can't hardly find a geneticist in the United States that does not have Dr. Lush in his pedigree. And so, I mean, he, he was kind of it. Heck, he did research from mainly cattle and hogs, but he did sheep. He even did some honeybees. So, I mean, he, he's the guy by far. So, so Dave, as a long, young whippersnapper, he might as well, he started at the top. Let's put it that way. And because uh, Dr. Lush was not a young man at that point. Go, go ahead, Dave. Well, I was 14 years old, and uh, he uh, took me under his wing because he was so excited uh, hell, uh, dwarfism was a terrific problem in a 
the Angus Herefords and Shorthorns. They all had them. And, and uh, for for a young 14-year-old that wanted to know more and know how to do it and all the rest. And so he set me up uh, breeding my uh, heifers to uh, carrier bulls. And we uh, developed a herd that uh, did not have the uh, dwarfism gene. And uh, explain what dwarfism is, Dave. It's well, it's a defect, right? It's a defect that uh, it, it occurs in humans. Is that for some reason long bone growth stops, but uh, the weight and all the rest come on. So these uh, these cattle, they, their head swells and and they're they're worthless and and uh, they were a real problem. But they were a problem that everybody refused to admit they had it. Uh, I sold my first bulls. Nichols Farms sold their first bulls. On a Saturday, we read an ad in the local paper uh, that I made. I didn't wasn't back on the want ads. I was on the on a page ad. I, we read the ad saying that we we're guaranteed not to sire dwarfs. The, our bulls. I had three for sale. Uh, about. Uh, Somewhere between five and ten trucks and pickups pulled in the yard at noon, and it was not because of me and my ad. It was because at the bottom of the ad, it said it's guaranteed by Merrill Nichols. And to this day, to this day, we... That's your uh, dad. That's my dad. That's my dad. And he said if a man's uh, word isn't any good, his bond isn't either. And to this day, every bull that we sell... We sell with a handshake instead of a signature. Uh, that's the way to be. And I'll tell you what, you, you also guaranteed that they wouldn't have that genetic defect of a bread, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we can't have that. That, that would be terrible. Uh, you know, actually, Bob and Dale, uh, let, let me interrupt here a little bit. Yeah, but, sure. You know, I think that's what really inspired Dave to become so research oriented and, and the Long and the short of it is that he really is a great advocate of researchers and research institutions. You know, the stuff that rubber meets the road research that people can actually use that will help beef producers be in better competition with a lowly chicken, with poultry, because that's our big competition. And he has been strong in his advocacy, started when he was 14 years old with Dr. Lush. So mm -hmm. it's amazing how when you avail yourself of, of great people with great ideas, how it helps inspire you to go ahead and do great things yourself. And I think he's a fine example of utilizing technology to forge us ahead. I couldn't agree with that more. And, and you know, we've all had great mentors. And, you know, Dave had Dr. Lush, which, I mean, you can't, can't go any higher than that. You know, Glenn, you and I have had Herman Purdy. I've also had Erskine Cash at Penn State. You had Dwight D. Eisenhower. That's not starting exactly at the bottom either. So, I mean, mentors are so important in our life. And, uh, and you know, one of the things on that same token, I mean, 1956, Dave goes to the National FFA Public Speaking Contest uh, and on uh, performance testing, before performance testing was a thing, and darned if he didn't win it. Uh, that's not that's not getting off to a bad start. I mean, but he had the bug in 1956, and you had the bug too, Glenn, because in 1959 you wrote your senior thesis on performance testing before it was a thing. So both of you were pioneers, and and both had that bug right from the beginning. And 
uh, you know, I, th- I just find that just amazing and, and just great to be around two people that, I mean, back when it, this wasn't a thing, you were already thinking about it. Matter of fact, uh, that ro- romantic devil of a Dave, uh, when he got married, what year did you get married, Dave? Uh, we got married in 65. In 65, and so he took his bride, Phyllis, and then one of their honeymoon spots was Y Plantation. So, like I said, he's a romantic devil, and uh, there was a podcast on Y Plantation. And Glenn, would you want to speak to that a little bit? Yes. At that time, in 65, we drove to Washington, D.C. to visit Y Plantation. At that time, there was very few operations that were breeding programs for measuring growth and feed intake. Y Plantation was measuring feed intake in 1965 by all the bulls that were uh, uh, on test had an individual box stall of their own. And uh, I was impressed with the females, uh, but during the and the whole deal, we were having a conversation with Jim Lingo, and uh, I called him Mr. Lingo, but he received a letter from the Angus Journal as we were sitting there talking in his office, and the Angus Journal prohibited him from offering and selling semen on purebred Angus herd sires. Uh, Mr. Lingo took that letter and threw it across the room to Dick Whaley and me to read, and then he called in his uh, secretary to reply to the Angus Journal to cancel the current contract, and he would never advertise with them again. So that uh, that tells you uh, uh, the time span, but uh, it was really a beginning of a of applying some of the knowledge and so on that he had when he was uh, uh, raising Jersey cattle and so on. And, and uh, it just made sense to him like it did to us. If they, you're going to weigh milk out of a cow, why wouldn't you weigh the beef and the bull? For a guy that's really, really into measuring, that had to be a, a, a dramatic, traumatic moment at, at Y Plantation. Uh, because uh, Dave is one of those guys that uh, he wants to, produce a product that won't drive people to poultry or fish. I mean, we're in competition. And what happened with the Angus Journal, I think, is they were trying to stay away from competition by utilizing advanced genetics via AI. Mm. And I think that's what made them so angry because we were keeping ourselves from being competitive. So that's for sure. And Glenn, didn't you go on your honeymoon? Weren't you looking at Cavill too the whole time? I'm guilty. <laughs> I think you took C.K. Allen too with you and his wife and, uh, and looked at Cavill the, your whole honeymoon. You guys are just two romantic devils. I'll tell you what. <laughs> but I, but I, I, I will tell you a story that pertaining to that in Colorado, there was a man by the name of Otto Fulcher who was at that time the Hereford breeder in North America. Mm-hmm. And Somehow or another, we got to meet him, mm-hmm. and he did not want to speak to me. He was a bridge player. So was my new bride. They got to play bridge together, and I sat in a corner to mope. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, let's get on and talk about I mean, research has just been fundamental what Dave has done. I mean, from, from the very beginning, all, I mean, all the things that he's been part of and and we're going to talk about it here in just a little bit, the standardization of our performance testing. And he was ground floor on that, but I mean, all, all the way through ultrasound and uh, tenderness and genomics. I mean, gosh, he, uh, he's been all through those things. And uh, 
Glenn, could you kind of give us a kind of a feel for what he's done in our industry? Well, you know, I would rather have Dave tell briefly because he's done so darn much, but just on a few things. But, you know, it's really started with the developing genomics to determine the horned and the polled and the color. Those are those are basics. And from there, it just continued to grow. And that's why I say we have spent millions and millions of dollars through the Meat Animal Research Center and through the U.S. Beef Promotion Research Board and through the many contractors and the many universities and the professors involved through BIF, etc., that began with Performance Registry International to, to do all of the advanced research that will continue to make our cattle a lot more predictable and to utilize the, the genes in such a way that we can do more for less with a continuing superior product. And Dave, why don't you tell them a few of the things in addition to that that yeah, you've done with us, genomics? First of all, the first that anyone knows of that uh, cattle were put on a computer to, to get ratios and so on, uh, Nichols Farms was the first and uh, Iowa State uh, developed a program. This would have been Dr. Willem set up a program, and it went on the computer and uh, at Iowa State, and we were allowed to run it. We were supposed had uh, from one o'clock in the morning until two o'clock because they thought it wasn't very important. Uh, I also uh, had a BIF meeting. Uh, we were talking about the problem with the marbling in cattle and so on, and, uh, and we knew that ultrasound worked, but it didn't work uh, for marbling. And uh, my wife Phyllis had just been diagnosed with MS, and this is because uh, there's a tiny, tiny bits of scar tissue in their brain. And, uh, you know, she's half German, so we know her skull is relatively thick. And I said, uh, my gosh, if they can find that in her, we can sure get IMF, so uh, nobody was very interested in getting marbling with ultrasound, but uh, I raised $100,000 from various cattle groups, and Iowa State did it, and uh, we uh, not only uh, uh, got IMF, but for four years, we uh, ultrasounded our cattle every 28 days, and and we're using software the Japanese had developed for Liver, 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 yeah, liver. And, and Dave, IMF is intermuscular fat, which we would call marbling, right? Yeah, right. Intermuscular yeah. fat. Uh, uh, they determined uh, fatty livers. Uh, well, among those that drink a lot, and so it was all there. But I'll just say one thing: uh, the last year we were taking muscle cores out of their uh, ribeye, about the quarter-inch cores, and measured uh, the. Uh, fat content of them, but I'll tell you this, we had some Solaris then, and some of them Solaris bulls got to not liking them much. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I compare ultrasound to just kind of like uh, getting weaning weights. Uh, you got to have lots of them and so on, but uh, you still got to run them clear through to the final thing. Uh, genomics, uh, I was a, on the president of the Semitol Association and was de- developing black Semitols and uh, found a place that we not only got uh, uh, color for genomics, but we got uh, whether they were homozygous or heterozygous for horns. And so uh, almost every genomics project that's happened in the United States, I've been a part of. I can attest to that. You were, you were on the tenderness project where we got our base genomics 
where we got our genomically enhanced CPDs. You were on. You were part of one of the founders of the uh, consortium of uh, genetic evaluation, where we validated the genomics. And uh, gosh, every like you said, everything you were part of was. Uh, that's where all that came of. You were involved in every bit of it. You went and you lobbied for money, and you were a thought leader. And I mean, you got all of it. And you just talked about Simmental's. And currently, you have Simmental's in South Devons. And that South Devons came out of the research, the tenderness project, because they just they didn't have any tough ones, and they and the criteria that came out of it. But you've had Simmental's all the way back to Travis Smith, who after they came over. But you were going for black polled simmentals. And and at that point, that was a pariah. Nobody wanted a black polled simmental. And we discussed that earlier in uh, some of these podcasts. That, that uh, Today, that's driven by cert- certified Angus beef. Back then, it was just you were it. You and Jim Taylor, there was two of you, working on a parallel path to get black polled cattle. And the only reason you were doing it was for your crossbreeding. You had the Angus-based herd. And you wanted to have, breed like to like and have a uniform calf crop. You didn't want it spots or, or all those things that you can get that you can get discounted on. So you had no plan to uh, get any purebred bulls out there. You just wanted to service your commercial customers. And I think that's, that's a tremendous thing. So whenever it came that we switched from the big spotted frame race cattle, you and Jim Taylor were there. You were the two that kind of led us there but one of the things that we talked about in glenn's podcast is how you got a lot of your base cattle because glenn had had a bunch of angus cross and uh done with you you kind of speak to that just a little bit now i'm going to have dave talk about going up in the bar five and and glenn and dave only live about 125 150 miles apart and, and, and let's, let's just tell that story real quick again. Well, well, the truth of the matter is Dave does things on purpose. I do things by accident. <laughs> hey, Glenn, you could go to hell for lying. Save <laughs> well, I, I did the initial spade work of breeding Gallant, one of the best and the Parisian to the Angus cows and got a lot of really, really good cross females. And, uh, but Dave saw the opportunity and the advantage to having black polled cattle. And uh, he just went on from where I left off and I went in another direction. So in this case, he was right. And maybe I was just his servant. <laughs> <laughs> well, how far, where, where's bar five where you sold all those cows? Well, we were only 125 miles apart. I sold them to a guy in Canada, Manitoba, Canada, Wilf Davis, one of the best cattlemen there is on the planet. And uh, then Dave went up there and, and uh, kind of suckered those good cattle away from Wilf Davis because he was going in another direction as well. Right. So Dave was, was the recipient of a lot of our largesse. And, and, you're, yeah. and you're welcome, Dave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got them pretty cheap, if I remember. But you went up to buy one pot load. You were going to get 40 head, right? But right. You, well, it, was, it was a little chilly. How, how'd that work out, Dave? Well, uh, Wilf had offered to let me have a pick of 40 of their best cows because they were going full bloods and they were had, had bred a bunch of the best Angus that, that uh, ever there was in, in, in Canada. To, to come up with a pole gene, so I and he gave me a price 
on the pick of 40. And I went up there and I didn't drink along a scarf and I had to borrow clothes. It was, it was February in Canada. And I, after a few minutes with a frozen nose and fingers, I just bought all of them at his price. <laughs> <laughs> I received the American pedigrees a few weeks later and found over half of them were bred by Glenn Kurt. <laughs> but I'll tell you this much, Glenn. The bull calves alone out of those 80 head paid for the entire group, and our cows herds still trace to many of them. In fact, some of the guys around here that work for me wish some of those gallant daughters would come up open so we could sell them and start getting some more three-quarters of beer bread. <laughs> well, you, uh, you owe me whiskey for life. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, uh, at least beer. Uh, anyway, no, I'll tell you what, that made all the difference because whenever the, our industry switched and certified Angus beef came on, Everybody had to have black polled cattle, and I mean it was just—it was a financial thing. And I know that's not in the U- UK is not a thing, but here it was just necessary to stay in business. And Dave and Jim Taylor were the saviors of the of the Simmental breed. Well, Dave, let's move on to the Beef Improvement Federation, what we've been calling BIF right along, and, and Beef Improvement Federation. We had our what we call our beef cattle improvement associations for the states. We had the bull studs that were doing uh, progeny testing. We had uh, uh, the breed associations that were just starting into performance testing. I, I mean, Brett Angus goes back to 54 and, and uh, uh, Angus in the late fifties, but really pre- and pulled Herford after that. But I mean, people were just really starting on it. And so, all of a sudden, we had this cluster uh, and Performance Registry International, which was a kind of overarching organization. And But everybody was using different terminology. Everybody was adjusting to different t- ages. And I mean, it was just a cluster. And so Beef Improvement Federation decided Ferry Carpenter and Dr. Frank Baker of the USDA Extension Service, United States Department of Agriculture, decided we needed something different. And, and dang, if Dave wasn't there at the beginning, uh, the young man, Dave, I mean, he, he was doing the Jay Lush thing. I mean, he was right there at the formation of a BIF and he was on the first board. And Dave, how, tell us how that went. Well, Ferry Carpenter was a great performance breeder and a very successful lawyer. Anyway, he held this meeting and he invited the PRI because he was a PRI member, as was Glenn and, and so was I, because uh, they were the, they were the first, but they didn't measure growth rate. They, they measured a marbling and, and product. Anyway, he brought all these associations on his nickel to Denver, and uh, we were sitting there in this big room, the, the university people, PRI people, and the... Uh, breed association that we were just like a bunch of Mennonites. We wouldn't even sit together. And so, in fact, Ferry Carpenter and, uh, and uh, Angus Breeder got in a fight over the mic, which uh, Ferry uh, informed him that he paid for the mic in the room, therefore it was his. And uh, anyway, they, he wanted to merge. Merger would not work. Uh, so it become a federation that was breeding and improving cattle for the right reasons. It was formed, and its sole purpose was to help seed stock breeders breed better cattle and have an organization that everyone was welcome at the annual meeting and reporting on products that were in effect instead of till the end. 
that affected beef from pasture to plate. And I tended everyone, uh, all, all except the one that was on Zoom last year. And at the 40th anniversary of BIF, uh, they were doing a book and they sent me a book of the original board of directors. And, and then on another sheet was their names. And they said uh, they wanted me to put the names of the people. And uh, I said, I, I think it would be better if you selected someone else. And they said, Dave, you're the only one left living. <laughs> so all, all the rest of the originals have passed on. And, uh, and Phyllis says, my God, Dave, all the other guys were in their 50s and 60s, and you were in your 20s. What do you expect? So anyway, uh, none of this what we're doing today, Glad we would do, be doing if it wasn't for BIF. And to give more credence even to, to Ferry Carpenter, who had so much to do with the origination of BIF, as you mentioned, he was also very, very integral to agriculture policy with President Eisenhower. He and, he and the president were very, very close. You talk about a guy that had clout and brain power and could see into the future. We were so lucky to have Ferry Carpenter to be so integrally involved really in the performance registry international and something that you know that so new to people and they didn't believe in measurements most people didn't at that time and here is only that that core few that brought this thing to fruition as you say dave and my goodness we have benefited from all of that ever since i'd like to make one little point then the thing that was the was most dangerous is about after seven or eight years of uh uh, BIF and, and it was really leading the pack and the, and the members that were there and, and all breeds were, were the ones like uh, Glenn Kirk and and uh, Carlton Corbin and, and so on. They were doing well. So some of the people there decided that they, they needed to stop having this information uh, sent to the members early. So they wanted to simple it and don't have any information published until it was completed and, and and so the insiders could already have their cows bred and so I opposed it and said we wanted to keep it the way it was because there, it was up for a vote and, many, and, and the person that was uh, promoting this said uh, it was just too complicated and they couldn't understand it and we needed to dumb it down so commercial men could understand it and and Minnie Lou Bradley who is in this Silent Sirloin Club gets up and says uh, hey if Dave Nichols can understand it anybody can <laughs> <laughs> <That's about it. laughs> and, and, and they called for a voice vote and it was overwhelming yeah and, and just and we're going to move on uh, but I mean just real quick you guys started out with people didn't know what age to adjust to and and we ended up with 205 days, which is just weird because that was what the average at the Bell Ranch was. But I mean, there was 200 or 205, and then it was 365 or 400. I mean, you, really, really simple stuff to the most complicated models you got. All that got standardized and, and really got us off on the right foot. But yeah, I mean, it was it was just all over the place. But we're going to move on, and because you two been friends for a very long time and right now there's a little bit of controversy in in scotland and, and all the uk because they're looking at a free trade agreement with australia and you guys did a big long tour of australia many many years ago and so let's talk about that a little bit glenn tell us about just getting in the country 
let me say that Dave and I have been friends since uh, I think about 1968, and we decided even though we were big time competitors, it was better that we'd get together. And uh, you know, with the concept of uh, you know a rising tide lifts all all boats. Yeah. Uh, you know if so. Anyhow, we got together. We were kind of alike. Anyhow, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say. On his part, type B personalities. If I but, and, if and, I and I've got to tell you that that Dave Nichols is not an outspoken advocate of of comparing cattle via the show ring. I was to some extent. I I believe that we go to all audiences because all people that have cattle are consumers, whether they're believe in the show ring or just the performance or believe in both. And I I use both to to promote beef and to get more money so we could do more research and development so this led to our our going to australia together on it we went to lots of trips didn't we dave oh yeah we enjoyed the heck out of them on one of these deals we went to australia and it was great you know it was a person by the name of uh, charlie Litton, who's the father of jerry Litton. Uh, jerry probably would have been we many of us considered that he was in politics and a rancher that he would probably someday become president and he, unfortunately, his life was cut short as he was becoming a United States senator. But at any rate, his father invited us to go to Australia. And we went there. And uh, one of the first things that, that you do is you go through the immigration line. And Dave went through. And one of the questions they asked him was, do you have a prison record? And Dave <laughs> just nonchalantly says, I did not know that it was a requirement anymore. jeez. <laughs> oh, that's so being that, politically correct there, Dave. So that okay. was the first of, of his several almost international incidents. <laughs> but, but we we did a lot of, uh, you know, conversing, uh, teaching, learning, communicating. We did it, you know, with herd visits, uh, cattle shows, university visits, all that kind of thing. But at one of those shows, I, I was judging Herfords. He was judging Angus on two sides of the ring. And uh, we, we got to the class of aged cows. And that's probably something we weren't used to at all anyhow. And some of those cows were not the greatest. And on my side of the ring, I had several. And I just placed them in order of preference that I'd buy them, which was I wouldn't buy any one of them. So I placed them according to their salvage value and expressed that. This wasn't really, really very politically correct. But the golly days, they invited us to come to do that. So... Honestly, I felt that was my responsibility. Then I looked over at Dave across the ring, and Dave had a similar dilemma. Is, is that right? Right. I only had one, only one antler. She was four years old, short-legged, still a virgin, and as obese as a bearded fat lady that was on display at the Midway. So I talked to the beef superintendent, advised that I didn't want to see her in the championship drive, and, and I didn't want to look at her again. So in the middle of the show ring, we searched the entry book. The judge has the right to unilaterally remove any animal unfit for show. And I watched and glad that he was going through his routine of uh, deal. So uh, right after the show was over, glad and I decided that we needed a drink. And it was after five and the pubs was open. And so... Uh, we headed towards the pubs, and we noticed one of them had a lot of people standing outside of it, and the other ones didn't. So we went there, and the, the people just opened like, uh, like the Red Sea, and we went through the door. And there, sitting on the bar, was two Yankee ladies 
Phyllis and Linda, who were our wives. I said, Glenn, let's get the hell out of here. I think we've caused enough trouble already. <laughs> but we didn't need to worry because, man, the Tasmanians thought it was funny and it was treated us very well at every turn, didn't they, Glenn? It was a great trip. Those Aussies are, they're extroverts by and large, if you can generalize. There's a high correlation anyhow. And we had a marvelous time. Yeah, you made the front page of the paper most of the time. Several times we did, yeah. yeah. When we talked about you guys doing a skit at uh, Mr. Bennett's at Knollcrest where you electrocuted yourself, where you did uh, Clem Clivenhopper or whatever it is, and Sam Slick about selling uh, genetic predictions and... You were doing that in uh, Australia, weren't you? How'd that go? You know, sometimes, as we all know, once we think about it, is that humor is sometimes the best avenue to getting information across. And that's what we tried to do, to make things funny that were sometimes obvious and sometimes not so obvious. And uh, Dave portrayed the one man, and I portrayed just the opposite. And sometimes we would just take turns. But uh, we had people's attention. And we did this in Australia. We did it the, at the National Angus, uh, well, no, at the International Angus Forum. Uh, we did it in Canada. We did it all over the place. And finally, we just decided, boy, this, this is uh, getting too close to home for some of these people. They said, man, this could be me. And uh, so we decided maybe we, we better quit this. But at, in Virginia, at, or at uh, Bennett's, James Bennett, we were almost electrocuted, as, as you say, and I, I think maybe that was God's way of telling us maybe we better draw this thing to a close because we, we just about met our maker at that point. And the great thing was, or the funny thing was, a lot of people thought that us going down on our knees as a result of the electric shock was part of the routine, and it obviously to us was not. <laughs> Dave, didn't you think they were starting to get you confused? Well, yeah, they thought they thought maybe that's who we really were, and uh, it was pure satire because one played the guy that the only thing he was away in prayer, he was the guy that weighed weighed him and prayed to sell him, and the other guy was just a dick, you know. Anyway, uh, this lightning struck our bikes and, and it brought us to our knees and and so on, and and then after a while we started and I turned and I said, "Glad." You just got to stop saying, God, if I'm lying, strike me dead. So, <laughs> so right. anyway, we completed it. But I believe that was the last one, wasn't it, Glenn? I think it was. We finally got the message. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to move on here because we're getting on on time. And I know one thing I, I'd like to say in Australia is, is it's so drought-prone. And I know, Dave, you went out and, and you toured one of the stations and and you were really upset because the guy had a gun and he was basically shooting every dry cow and every kangaroo he could see because it, it didn't have any feed and it cost them more to take them to the packing plant than they were worth. It was costing them money. And I know you were really upset about that whole thing, but I guess that was the reality of the deal. But uh, yeah, I guess it's a tough country. Let's move to Argentina and, and, and Glenn, I, Nichols Farms has had this a big impact in Argentina. If you could kind of give us a quick impact of, of what Nichols genetics have done in Argentina, because it's been substantial. Well, Argentina is one of the best beef cattle areas of, of the world, really. And Palermo is a show, and they show great credence 
and admiration for that particular show. And they utilized it to their advantage for generations now. And Nichols Cattle, and as I said, Dave is not an advocate of showing, but ironically, the show ring has made Dave Nichols Cattle very, very popular, universally popular. I mean, dominating in Argentina, one of the great cattle countries in the world. And uh, isn't, it, isn't it kind of ironic that, uh, that this could happen to a guy that's so outspoken anti-show ring? I always thought it was pretty funny. I'd like to comment on that, Glenn. Sure. Uh, you're, you're right on when you said I didn't have a, a much use for the show ring, or, or did the show at least, but, my, but our cattle did show good. The same could be said of you, that you were showing cattle that were champions, and you weren't participating very much in, in, uh, in bull test stations, but your show ring cattle that you were showing did really well in bull test stations. We were just showing what we were doing, one in a test station, the other one in a show ring, but the same cattle, uh, the Glenn Kirk and Nichols cattle were one of the few that could do both. I think in some ways we've both showed that there's a place for both when you can marry the two, when you've got really attractive cattle that are very, very functional, that have the traits that we're looking for in order to create a cattle of you know, those traits of economic importance. What more can we do than that? So this gets into all audiences, and the, the more the better. I'll tell you what, it, you know, I've, I've been through all of South America, and I, and I know, Glenn, you've been everywhere, but I've gone, you know, in a bunch of countries in South America. There's no more beautiful cattle in the world than the Argentinian cattle. I mean, that confirmation-wise, they are just beautiful, beautiful cattle to look at. So anyway, Dave, you weren't uh, breeding any ugly sticks, that's for sure, if they competed down there. And, but Dave, you uh, exported pretty recently uh, a bull to John Elliott. I guess he, he was on the podcast just recently. And uh, tell, us, tell us about that. Well, uh, uh, John Elliott's been here a couple times at least, and, uh, and, and uh, I followed his program. Uh, in fact, when the, the World Angus Forum was in it, why, uh, I did not go on it, but uh, the people who was on it said he had some of the best cattle and some of the best cattle in, in, in Great Britain. And uh, anyway, uh, some of them that they liked the best had some nickels breeding in them. So he'd fit right in in America or in Iowa or Missouri, wouldn't he, Glenn? Well, he's, he is, he's, he's a real stockman, and he's a, really a, an interesting bloke, as they say. He's, a, he's got all kinds of imagination. He's fun-loving, so he's the kind of a guy that, that, that we like to associate with and makes life interesting. Being around good stockmen and just talking cattle is just fun or any kind of livestock. That's one of the three things that the three of us do a lot of, and uh, we're on the phone a lot, and... Uh, you two are get. I'm not saying you're getting old, but you're getting a little older than me. And we're still talking about 20 years down the road, and and that's what makes it so much fun. Talking about fun now, Bob. Uh, I was up to Dave Nichols just about a, a week ago now and went through his whole herd. Oh, great! He he and Ross Havens took me through and spent four or five hours going through the herd, and it was an absolute delight. I mean, you know, it was more than fun. It was an exhilarating experience. For instance, to see 40 bulls in one mm -hmm. pan that had been used last year, two-year-olds, and I couldn't really tell 
unless I really studied the difference in those bulls according to breed. Were they Angus? Were they Semitols? Were they South Devons? Were they Composites? Were they hybrids? They were just good, stout, long-bodied, free-wheeling, up-headed, attractive kind of bulls. Yep. And, uh, you know, this is really, really fun to see. And when you can get like to like, as Lord Bacon once said Bakewell, a long, long Bakewell. time ago, and do it through, through genomics and get, get heterosis along with it. I mean, the, the health, the, the vitality, the little, little extra milk, the fertility, the longevity, all connected with his heterosis, you know, what more can you do? And that just remains to be seen because there are things coming down the pike and Dave Nichols is, is at the forefront of, of some of those genomic markers that are going to tell us which cattle have some of these traits that are highly heritable and very economically important. So I, I want to thank Dave in public that, and congratulate him and Ross and their families for putting on a, a heck of a demonstration of what you can do if you really have a goal, you keep it simple, you keep it straightforward, and you keep your people involved. And um, we're going to move right to the people here in a second. But one of the things I want to talk about is Dave does have a Angus herd, a Simmental herd, and a South Devon herd, but he also does hybrids, you know, the, the F1s of those. And he has a composite of South Devon and uh, Simmental and Angus, and he remakes those all the time, so there's not, no genetic drift. So he's continuously remaking them and selling them. And, uh, and it, I mean, it's pretty cool. And, and because a lot of these times you, can, you start to drift to one breed. And, and those 40 bulls, he turns out, I mean, he, he does AI first. And we'll, we'll go into that just next. But when you turn 40 bulls out, and I think this is a really interesting concept. If you turn that many bulls out, you're going to get the average of the EPDs, the genetic predictions, uh, uh, it'd be EBVs in the UK, um, you're going to get the average of what you turn out. Some will go up, some will go down, but on average, you're going to get what you put out. And you can turn generations faster to the bulls if you're using that many bulls and keep those good cows. As long as they'll stay around, you want to keep those good cows. That's the way to turn generation in a bull. I think Dave has that down to a science. And... Um, and like I said, it works. If you turn one bull out, then you got risk because that bull may be the one that goes up or goes down. You don't know. And uh, boy, I think Dave really has that down, just like you said. But look, Dave, how how do you choose your AI sires? Do you AI a lot before you turn those four well, bulls? Well, out? we we uh, we just uh, uh, use it the same way we price them. First of all, they've got to be sound. They've got to have uh, EPDs and genomic information that place them for growth in the top 5%, and then they, so we we price them and select them basically on if we were going to use them as a commercial man and feed out all the old calves. As much as we can, we look really like 10-year-old cows that have had eight calves, a 365-day interval. We like females. Like my dad said, uh, the bull may be uh, half the herd, but the, the cow's half the calf. And I think we probably have more 10-year-old cows still producing than, than about anyone else, uh, and, and we treasure them. Anyway, uh, that's how we pick them out. How do you pick out the AI sires? You do that with your employees, don't you? Right. We uh, With our AI sires, we pick out a AI sire for every breed, 
and we, I make a list of the bulls. Then they vote on the one they want for the breed that they're handling. And then the only bulls that we buy semen out of is the uh, bulls that appear on both their list and on my list. So you each, put, you each have a list of 10, right? Right. And, each, and, each, and I can guarantee you the, the guy that calves out our first calf heifers, uh, there's no cow killers in that bunch <laughs> on his list. No, <laughs> there better not be. Uh, but that, I mean, that's the thing is you, you got your employees. I mean, they're, they're vested in it. And, uh, and Glenn, you, that's the way you did business too. I mean, you had, you had your employees were invested. I mean, they weren't just out there day labor. Uh, I mean, talk, talk about that, Glenn. Well, it's a team effort. Anything is if it's successful. And, uh, Dave is absolutely a team guy. I mean, with his wife, Phyllis, and sister-in-law, Lillian, and, and Ross Havens, and a stellar group of, of loyal, long-lasting. They've been, most of them been there a long time. But he's made sure that uh, he gives them the freedom to use their own minds and sense of responsibility and, and uh, keep their efforts interesting. So challenging, you know, and, and happy, really. So they, that way they'll go the extra mile and keep the train on the tracks and running on time. And it's, it's a wonderful, harmonious thing when you treat people like you want to be treated and allow them to be the best that they can be and allow them their innovative skills because all of us need to exercise that in order to grow. And they've done a magnificent job at that. And I think a lot of people can take a, a lesson from that some people will uh, say how their employees just won't respond well maybe that's the fault of the one who's not allowing them to respond in a positive way he's got it down to a science and an art and that's exactly what life is a science and an art well first of all i'm going to say that uh, my first trip to Glenkirk, that's what i came away with and glenn has always been uh, my role model as far as handling people's concerns. I'll just say one thing. He held uh, not, many, not very long ago a party field day for all his previous employees. I wasn't invited, nor was anybody that was invited. And how many people did you have show up, Glenn? But, uh, Over the period of years, 135, which included in this case some of their kids. And some of them had never even met each other, but it was amazing after just almost minutes how they would bond because they're similar experiences and uh, both bad and good, and they bonded like you could not believe. I'll, I'll say uh, we're hiring people, and we're hiring people to make a career at Nichols Farms. It's not a job. It's not a position. It's a career. Uh, one of the things I do uh, is uh, I like to pick people that uh, – participated in athletics. Uh, I played football, and I could print near a bullshit my way through a lot of stuff. But when you're out there on the football field or on the soccer field or on the basketball court, uh, scoring and as the ultimate thing, and teams always beat individuals. So that's just uh, something that Glenn and I, I think, have really taken the leadership on and and uh, there's one thing that I won't allow at, at my farm, uh, and that's a hired man joke because we don't have any hired man. You know, I think that's, that is the key. And, you know, I was on the other side of industry support running breed associations. 
we spent a lot of time putting budgets together. And after we put our budget together and we had some planning, my job was to get the hell out of the way and protect those guys from bureaucracy and let them do their job. And I think that's the key. You get let them do their job. And that's what you guys did and told them what had to be done. You know, you don't you didn't tell them how to do it. And I think that's really key. Let let them decide how to do it. And that, it sure worked for me. And then at the end of the year, you you make them responsible for for their task. And and boy, you just you just don't tell people how. You tell them what needs to be done and let them be creative. And, and um, you guys have that down to just such a science. I mean, I, I think that's a universal thing for anybody that's managing people. All three of us have managed people that way, and it just flat works. I mean, you don't want people that are are just collecting a paycheck. You want them to be using their minds. And, and uh, you know, one of the things, Dave, you know, you market bulls, uh, and um, you market a lot of bulls. How many bulls do you market a year, Dave? Uh, between four and 500. All right, and those four and five hundred are all private treaties. So you want to have interaction with every one of those customers. It's not a sale where you know, they just sit in the stands and bid. And I mean, you spend a lot of time on that. And another thing you spend a lot of time on is value adding those feeder cattle because you, if they can sell their feeder cattle for at a profit, you're going to sell your bulls. And and uh, and that works. That's a that's a heck of an idea. And, well, I mean, that worked universally. Could you kind of speak to that yeah, uh, briefly? For, for, first of all, all of our bulls are priced, and they are sold private treaty. The only auctions that ever occur is when two people want the same bull. We, they can bid off between them. Uh, our motto is I get everybody at Nichols Farms is a salesman uh, because I say, you know, when you take your paycheck, that's not by me. Uh, that's by the, the people that buy bulls. We have a model. I tell them the last things before we start to sell bulls is sell the guy or gal the bull they need, not the one they want, and never, ever, ever lead somebody out of the $4,000 pen in and convince them to buy a higher priced one because buyer's remorse is a bad, bad feeling. And we uh, simply notify uh, uh, our our cattle feeders that are interested, which about us are the day that our cattle sell at auction. We like public auctions because uh, they're the probably the last uh, price discovery we've got in the beef business right now. And uh, the cattle will bring from uh, from 60 to $80 more, and, and that amounts to we're, we're giving away free bulls. Well, there you go. And I'll tell you what I've written uh uh, quite a few articles for your newsletter and anybody that goes to uh, nickelsfarms.biz, I think it is, isn't it, Dave? Right. You can see, see those, uh, well, some of them, not all of them are posted, but quite a few of them. And uh, and I've profiled quite a few of his customers. I'm amazed how many customers don't, they just call up Ross or Lillian or Dave and just say, you know what my operation's like because most, they've been at most of these folks' operations. They just said, you know what we need? You know what we, we have to have? Send us the right bulls. And, and gosh, they're just happy as a lark. And I mean, I've done everybody all over the country that they've sent bulls to a site unseen. And, and uh, they all, all are happy. And, they, and anytime there's been a rare case where something's gone wrong, Dave has stood behind them. And, and, uh, and that's what it's all about. You sell the right product and you stand behind it. Dave, wrap up. I mean, we're getting long time here, and 
wrap up what how you define success in in your operation you've been at this how many years have you been at this gosh you've been at this 65 years nine since i was nine years old oh well that's a that's a long time i'm 82 right now and and my uh Mm. different people measure success differently as far as i'm concerned here's my what success means to me as far as my raising cattle my lifetime goal has been to raise two blades of grass where my dad grew one and to raise and sell cattle that eat less and gain more I think I've done it. I believe I've made it. And I've changed the lives of a host of people who eat beef. And it didn't matter whether they were eating it with their fingers, their forks, or their chopsticks. I would agree with that. And I tell you what, impacting people, uh, I know both of you have impacted me and you and and Glenn. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's been so much fun for me to uh, become close friends with you two after you being uh, people I've looked up to afar. And, but Glenn, can, how do you think Dave has been a success? Well, you know, we talked about the foundation of success is to be on a great team and have a, have a good idea and something that's, that's useful to somebody, even yep. in this case, uh, this planet and humanity. But it, really, he got his DNA to give him success from his, from his parents. And the environment that he's surrounded himself with, including his wife's parents, whom he always talks about with, with great fondness and, and respect, he's been driven, really, I think, in a sense, to do whatever he can to become a leader. And he's been very cognizant that there's no such thing as a, as a leader without followers. And he's done whatever he could to keep himself close uh, and communicate and touch and all those things that keep you on the same team that keep you uh, in contact and contact with everybody that matters so far as making cattle better and uh, our, he just believes in a cow he loves a cow and, uh, and the cow has been his his instrument for a happy life I would say yeah I mean and part of that has been people I mean and, and the people he's led and and, and that's um, right I mean, the, the cattle are an instrument to people. It's people that what, what matters in the end. And that's where Amen. Dave has had such an impact on life. And one of Dave's saying is, uh, the view is the same if you're a mile ahead of the parade or a mile behind the parade. And except you don't have to walk through the horse shit or whatever it is if you're a mile behind. But uh, Dave hasn't been a mile ahead. He's been in contact, just like you said. He's been out ahead. But, uh, I mean, he, he's been... He's always had contact with the people that he has been a leader. And people like to follow leaders. I don't care what you say. People are attracted to the leaders. And I think one other thing that I really think is, is, a, is a great thing is Dave has always said that the three, three things that make a seed stock producer, a seed stock producer needs to do is one, they need to go to the zoo and study structure. Because if you go to the zoo and you study a lot of wild animals, structure is not the same is what we have in the show ring. It's just it's more of a bondsman kind of thing. I mean, so we, we really need that functional structure, sometimes different than we think human eyeball structure should be. He also said that you should buy a load of cattle out of your, out of your bulls, out of your customers' cows, and feed them in a commercial feed yard. And, and um, there was a Craig Uden went through a commercial feed yard. You want your eyes opened up real fast about what the beef industry is about. 
you pay the bill, the feed bill, and the health and everything at a commercial feed yard. And the last thing is read the story of Goldilocks. You know, not too hot or too hot, too cold, just right. Bed too hard, too soft, just right. Get those cattle tuned into the environment. Get them tuned into your customers, what your customers need. And gosh, if you do those three things, you, you've uh, you hit it pretty hard. You know, you've hit about right. And, um, you know, I think that's the key. And I mean, you, you wrap up things that make the cattle right, and then you lead. And, and then, can you just kind of wrap this whole thing up for us? It just occurred to me re regarding success, too. There's, there's a principle that if you don't care who gets the credit, you can get a lot of things done. And I, I think, I think uh, when you have a good team, you really don't care who gets the credit because everybody comes up with an idea. When, and when they pull together, there's a synergistic event that, that happens where two plus two equals five. And that to me is, a, as Einstein said, that's more powerful even than compound interest. <laughs> but, but in closing, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, we hope that this audience has gained a bit of knowledge and felt an inspiration and, and will use all of the, the available means, whatever it is, to propel our industry forward because that's what we're talking about. We've got the tools and we've got some still unused tools and resources and we have a fabulous story to tell about that wonderful cow and her still too many hidden talents. There's still a lot of stuff to tell about it and uh, what Dave Nichols and his team have done for our industry and planet is both exhilarating and sobering. We should all try to give this worthy effort of satisfying real human needs, our best effort. And that's, that's why we did what we did. Uh, amen. And, and Dave has, has truly been an inspiration to all of us and, and to the world, world's beef cattle agriculture. Dave, I'd like to thank you for being a friend and for what you've done for our industry. And, and uh, it, it, this has been a great podcast. I'm so glad uh, Andy has chosen to feature you. you. You've done an awful lot. So thank you very much. And this has been a great visit. I think uh, the feeling is mutual. And just remember, it isn't what you gather, it's what you scatter. Uh, there you go. It's been absolutely wonderful privilege to, to listen to you three gentlemen. And uh, you've all been there in, in your own spheres and, and done extremely well. And, and you're, you're a lot about what this podcast represents, about hearing hearing the tales and the stories from the from the older generation but more importantly in this one it's been an absolute lesson in life thank you well thank you andy thank you for having us on i mean this has been a real real privilege to us we enjoyed it we had fun you certainly did well I, as i mentioned a couple of weeks ago we are planning a, a top lines and tails cow tour to the u.s and uh, you never know we might look you guys up on our way uh, well that would be great please do, please do. <laughs> yeah all right, Andy. Well, thank you so much. And you guys, thanks so much. Very All much right. appreciated, fellas. I really, I mean that. It's an absolute honor for me. All right. Take care. All right. Bye then. Bye all. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, which was kindly sponsored by Harbro, suppliers of quality commercial and pedigree feeds and expert nutritional advice. Visit their website or find them on Facebook for more information. And while on the subject of Facebook, why don't you visit the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find photographs and more information to back up this episode. <laughs>